Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work. I'm Robbie, he's Kyle, and this is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Kyle, I gotta ask, do you feel it? Do I feel what? Christmas time? The Christmas spirit, Kyle. <laughs> I do. Do you feel it? I do. This is the closest that we will ever get to a a holiday rewatch experience. No doubt. And I got to say, I love it. Yes, no doubt. You know, Marvel doesn't give us a lot of Christmas movies, but this is, you know, most of the movie is spent either in Miami or California, so it doesn't right. quite <laughs> feel as Christmassy, but... I will be in Michigan soon, and that will feel like a winter wonderland. So that will help me. I, I actually, more. there you go. I do love that. That, I, and I think partially because of the fact that so much of it's spent in semi-tropical locales, that they just say the word Christmas multiple times to the movie, just to right. remind you, like, no, 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 this does take place <laughs> right on Christmas. My other favorite thing about this Iron Man 3 movie is that Nashville gets a shout-out. My city yeah, of Nashville, Music City, USA. But what makes me laugh about this is it's snowing like crazy in Tennessee, and <laughs> it just doesn't snow that much here. The movie is factually right. incorrect. If we get one inch of snow, then that's really bad. So, But I yeah, get a shout-out, so I'll take it. I've spent a lot of years in Nashville, so I can confirm that. Kyle's telling the truth. I'm not lying. I, you know, I like, I, I do like getting this little kind of cheery Christmas thing, though. It makes me think that, like, in the same way we've talked about how Marvel has transformed superhero movies to not be a genre in itself, but to have these subgenres. Like, could we get just a subgenre of Marvel Christmas movies? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, have you ever seen the Star Wars Christmas <laughs> special? It's known as one of the worst uh, movies of all time. So let's maybe not yeah. have them venture into that territory. One of one of the worst, but also it's so bad that it's sort of one of the best. So it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's where we differ. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll just go. buy you a ten foot large bunny instead. <laughs> there you go. Okay, let's talk about Iron Man three. Yes. Okay, let's you do know it. I'm an Iron Man guy, so this is the third movie in my personal trilogy. <laughs> Your um, personal trilogy. <laughs> Iron Man 3 was directed by Shane Black. First stop in our conversation is that this is the first Iron Man movie not to be directed by John Favreau, who is Happy Hogan. And I right. think I feel that a little bit here, but we'll get to that in a second. It stars all the typical usuals, Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow. Don Cheadle has a larger role in this movie. Uh, Guy Pierce as Aldrich Killian. So that's a new yep. intro into this realm. And then Rebecca Hall and Ben Kingsley who plays the Mandarin, a.k.a. Trevor Slattery. Yep. Man, it's so crazy, even at this point in our rewatch, some of the names that are in these movies are pretty impressive. I mean, Ben Kingsley is a big deal actor. I mean, but even going all the way back to Iron Man, I, I love that Jeff Bridges was our very first MCU <laughs> villain. Like, I just, I, I don't right. know, there is something really fun that these movies draw this kind of talent, whether, you know, and however yeah. you want to talk about it, whether it's economic incentive or whether people just have fun with them. But not only are our main actors, big actors, famous actors, they also get side actors for each of these movies that are huge names. Robert Redford. Oh, right. I mean, it's insane. Even uh, Guy Pierce, Yeah, Guy is, Pierce. is a big name. Two, uh, Memento. You ever seen Memento? Mm, Christopher Nolan oh, right man. here for life. Hashtag. Count um, of Monte Cristo. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, this movie, a couple of interesting notes. The box office, it grossed $1.2 billion worldwide. And this is about the time when a lot of these movies are crossing over into the billion-dollar threshold for Marvel hmm. from about this movie. I mean, a few movies ago, but just the fact that this movie got $1.2 billion is crazy. I think that's fascinating because a lot of times, if people were getting superhero fatigue, as some people claim, or Marvel fatigue, don't you think these box office films would be going down? Right. And yet it still keeps growing and growing and growing, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that's one of the really unique things about the MCU as a whole. And I think we've touched on this before. But I think almost always when you have a long form series like this, everybody always kind of looks back at the beginning as being better and then it getting kind of progressively worse. Right. And it's, it's crazy how that's just almost totally opposite here. Right. Or like if you missed some of the beginning, you wouldn't be interested to tune into the end. 
And it's kind of been the opposite in this way. Like if you look at the viewership numbers of Lost, for example, a TV show, the amount of viewers went down basically every season all the way to the end. Which I get a little right. bit. It, once you get confused and you get left in the story, you can't catch up. But again, this Marvel universe has kind of been the opposite, which is just notable yeah. to me. Oh, totally. It's also important to note that we are getting to the spot in our rewatch order. This is movie 11 of 23 for us. And wow. So about dead smack in the middle, especially if you count Far From Home as an epilogue, this is the exact middle. And I think it is interesting that we're getting to that point where about every movie from here on out is just a good movie. I'm running yeah. out of major questions or concerns with each film. I think one of the notable things about phase two in general, and, and by that I mean the films that were actually released in release order phase two, it, it seems as though you can kind of see in real time Marvel figuring out the formula. So there might still be some some issues here and there, but generally it's it's really starting to work. And then by the time you get to phase three, it's just almost perfection. But it's and and even that kind of figuring out, and we'll talk about some of those things that pop up here. I still think it it makes for some really fun steps toward like more universe building and more just kind of creative storytelling decisions that we didn't really have the opportunity for in phase one and that are kind of not because of what's happening by the time we get to phase three necessarily available there either. So I think this is a really unique spot in the MCU. And right. it's one that I find myself, weirdly enough, revisiting a lot. Like, even though I, I think that the Phase 3 movies are better, largely, and uh, to be fair, a lot of my favorites are there, there's something that feels, like, really, really nostalgic. And again, going back to kind of my, like, quintessential character thing, <laughs> yeah. this sort of feels like the the snapshot of the MCU, you know, kind of uh, at its quintessential form, if that makes sense. In phase three, everything's kind of getting broken down, right? Because we're heading towards this like huge finale. So it's like relationships are being torn apart, characters are getting scattered. But like this is still this moment where like there's so much excitement and like the world is opening up, and it's just like I don't know. It's a, it's a fun spot in the rewatch for me where we are right now. No doubt. So I brought up the fact that we are. 11 movies into a 22 or 23 yep. film saga. And in multiple ways, this movie also feels smack dab in the middle for me as far as the rating I'm going to give it and the score, the quality. This is about the typical average Marvel movie for me. I enjoy it. It's really well done right in the middle. And my first premise I want to start with and just have a discussion about kind of big picture is phase two in general Phase one is obviously about origin stories and setting up that first Avengers team getting together. And phase three is obviously the conclusion of all the work they had done and piecing that together. But I just was struck by phase two would have some really unique challenges that I don't even know that they anticipated before they started filming them. Right. One, it's a really interesting phase where you have to make these stories that the circumstances and the stakes feel real. They feel dire, but you can't kill a lot of Avengers here because you know you're having to do work for phase three. That right. middle ground is a really interesting challenge they would have had to hurdle before well, they started making these movies. Well, and I think even more than that, the question that I remember in real time a lot of people were asking was, well, if you're going to have the stakes be high enough for the movie to kind of be ramped up from the prior entries in the trilogy, in the case of Iron Man, or or just prior entries in the case of Captain America and Thor, how are you going to ramp those stakes up without creating an event that's so cataclysmic that it would obviously require the Avengers to come together again? So I talked about this in the Thor Dark World episode, but there are three films in my mind, okay, where I sometimes just scream... Call the other Avengers, please. <laughs> you have already convinced me they are in the same universe. Excellent. I love that. But now you have to honor that and give me some reason. Give me a little line. Give me a cameo. Give me something to show me why can they not be there. Now, we talked about this in the Thor Dark World episode. It's the <laughs> it's way worse than Thor Dark World. It's about as bad as it gets where they are literally in London 
planning a meeting, trying to prevent the entire universe from going into complete darkness. And I feel like that'd be a good time to maybe call Captain America or it's, Iron Man or or Bruce Banner. Maybe just, you know, it's so, the stakes it's are even so higher amazing. than the Battle of New York. <laughs> it's am- no, they're higher than even in Avengers Endgame. It yeah, is it's the- arguably the highest stakes that we've ever had in the MCU. <laughs> and it's just Thor, Dr. Selvig, Jane, and Darcy <laughs> And I can't get over how their solution is to throw metal poles at it. Right. <laughs> hey, but, but it works. Anyways, you know? yeah, it, they do solve it. Um, <laughs> Props to if Darcy. It's the worst, I, I give her credit. Oh, gosh. If, if it's the worst there, it's second worst here. So middle ground here with Iron Man I would 3. agree with that. Yeah. It's not, it's not egregious, but you can't tell me that Iron Man wouldn't have at least phoned somebody before he went to go see Aldrich Killian that last time. Yeah. I, I think. So, and then Winter Soldier is offensive to this, but just barely. I think you Winter Soldier. That he, you know, yeah, he can't trust anybody, so yeah, that's why. Yeah. We can get to that later. But this is kind of middle ground for me. I think Winter Soldier handles it the best. But I, I do think you know it's interesting because I've seen some interviews where Kevin Feige was directly addressing that question about Iron Man 3 prior to its release. Because, I, like I said, people were already kind of asking, what is it going to look like? And his answer has been that Tony, similar to kind of what happens in Winter Soldier, is intentionally going off the grid and kind of going you know, undercover so that no one knows that he's still alive. And maybe that'll, he's thinking maybe that'll keep Pepper out of danger. I don't know what the rationale there is. That's one explanation. I feel like that's that's you know mildly satisfying at best. I guess it just feels like he's saying that's an excuse for why we couldn't do it, whereas really we just couldn't have every movie be an Avengers movie. That's how I, I read that. So I wish you would just say, hey, it's a it's a concern that we have and we didn't anticipate as well. Which I mean, he kind of you know in that in the interview I'm referencing, he actually does sort of bring up. Um, in a way that, again, I don't think you would find satisfactory, where he basically says, <laughs> um, well, you know, comic book fans have been doing this forever, where it's like, you, you know, you just have to recognize that just because Spider-Man's facing this existential threat, it doesn't mean that he's always going to call Iron Man to come help him. I, I think that he underestimated the the willingness of MCU fans to accept that in the same way that comic book fans will. Um yeah, but I but the the thing that makes it it's it's not a major problem for me. It's not like I shut the movie off because of it. I just you know what where it was a major problem for me was Guardians two. I, I like I said in the episode, I was a little bit mad at that movie for not including more of this stuff. So it did bother me more in some other films. Right, right. I mean, I I think the reason it ends up not bothering me here is one, there is a statement where Tony says to the Mandarin on, on camera after Happy's been hurt, you know, this is just good old-fashioned revenge. It's mano y mano. There are no politics. And so I think it's setting up there that he sees this as a very solo endeavor. Like, it's it's him going after the Mandarin. I think, right. two, while, like you know, at the end, the president's held hostage and it's a big thing, that's still not a quote-unquote Avengers-level threat. Like, I... Mm, I far from home reference. I mean, it's like, it's a big deal, right? But it's like, it's it's not the, you know, a, a, an alien invasion big deal. It's not like a dimensional... Like, Thor 2, it's like, yeah, no, this is totally an Avengers-level threat. Here, it's more right. of a, like, you know, <laughs> kind of political thriller situation. And right. finally, I am just not even sure that, like, at the end of the Avengers... Like, it's all still been linked through Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D., right? And, like, at the end of Avengers, I don't—they they may have done, like, a number exchange, <laughs> but we never see that. Like, we never get this sense that it's like, okay, well, we're going to stay in touch and, and work together and be a oh, team. Oh, come on. Oh, no, come I'm, on. I'm, 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 I'm not saying that Tony couldn't have found a way to get in touch with Cap. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I don't know that that was ever— They're not that best there was ever this. Yet. Yeah, like, I don't think there was a sense that it's like we're just a standing team necessarily. Like, I think that, again, it was all kind of linked through Fury. And I think that by the time we catch back up with the Avengers and Age of Ultron, the reason that it is kind of a standing team is, spoiler alert, I think because S.H.I.E.L.D. is no longer a thing at that point. So, like, what was S.H.I.E.L.D. 
is now kind of being funneled through Avengers Tower. Hmm. So I I guess what I'm saying, again, I'm not saying that Tony couldn't have contacted other Avengers. I don't think he would have known at all how to contact Thor for sure. But I think that it doesn't seem crazy here because I don't think that we ended Avengers with them being totally in, you know, lockstep. Let's transition from that to just appreciating how much good Tony Stark work is done here. Yep. This is an excellent movie as far as showing us these seeds being planted of his anxiety, panickedness, paranoia. I love it. This is the thing that's going to drive him in Ultron and Civil War. So be paying attention to this. We're getting this character growth from Iron Man 1 of him getting out of the cave, building a suit, and becoming this celebrity superhero of sorts. Iron Man 2, him personally struggling with what does that mean? Iron Man 3, deciding that Tony Stark as a human being can still be worth something if he doesn't have his suits. Yes. But also, meanwhile, panicked of, I have to protect the things I love at all costs. Hint, hint, hint of what's going to happen, you know, coming up later. Right. I mean, yeah, you get these lines like Tony tells Pepper, you know, we're in imminent danger. I have to protect us. He's in the conversation with the kid in Tennessee and he asks, are the aliens coming back? And he's like, maybe. And it, like you can tell even now that, yeah, like this is becoming Tony's mantra of like, okay, I've seen, I've seen things now that I can't unsee and that's going to change Everything. So whereas other characters, I think from here on in the MCU kind of have their own little storylines going. It's like Tony has this now like one track mind of there are things out there that we are vulnerable to and it's up to me to keep us safe. This movie is perfect as a Avengers follow up because they have to deal with all the ramifications of the Battle of New York. And that's amazing. But it's also perfect as an Age of Ultron setup. Because it's setting up why he's going to react and do the things he does in Age of Ultron, like building Ultron in the first place, and why he feels like he has to do it. This movie does a really good job of both those things. And regarding the Battle of New York, I just love how much the Phase 2 movies deal with the effects, the ramifications of the Battle of New York, instead of just glossing over it. It's such a great plot device that Marvel has that no other series in cinematic history has because they can deal with events from previous movies instead of just making another standalone film. And that is really cool to me. No, I think it's huge. And I love that we're seeing repercussions from New York I mean, all the way to... Spider-Man Homecoming. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it is like, and I think we mentioned this in the Avengers episode, but I know that Joss Whedon in the Avengers was really wanting to, as much as possible, given that we're, again, in, in like alien and superhero world, create this, okay, if this did happen, like what would the response be like? Like what would life look like during this and after this? And I and I do you know again I love it, thinking we're, about we're that in the world of, of fantasy, but I think given that that Marvel really does try to operate under this like yeah everything changes the moment that the Battle of right. New York happens, which yeah and I you know I agree with you I think that this movie deserves a lot of credit for in terms of release order gracefully leading us into Phase Two, I think in our order. I really love that, one, we've kind of had some time to sit with the events of Avengers, that Tony's had time to sit with that, that it's still right. weighing on him. And I think, like you said, this is really perfect as kind of the on-ramp for Tony's story in Age of Ultron in the same way that Winter Soldier is going to be the perfect on-ramp for Cap's role in Age of Ultron. Ugh, I'm still kind of debating if we should watch Guardians 1, 2, Iron Man 3, or should we throw <laughs> Guardians 2 later? I'm still debating. You know what I think I'm going to tell people? I want you guys to choose one order or the other and then get back to us on social media at the oh, FFW podcast go. and tell us which one you think actually worked and give us state your case. Because we are still, Robbie and I, arguing about this off, off air. Just FYI. Let the people choose. Um, okay, another thing I loved. I need you to put yourself in my shoes for a second. I okay. am not a comic book reader. I've never read one in my life. I have no preconceived notions about any characters other than what the <laughs> movies give me. Do you understand? Right. So with that being said, I loved the Mandarin twist. 
I loved how Ben Kingsley played the Mandarin, how dark they made it. I mean, think about that scene where he calls the president and the president has to call him back or the guy dies. So dark. I love how he, okay, two parts I love. I love in the plot that that twist works to me. Again, remember that behind the scenes, Thanos is our big villain. He's coming. Right. So we don't need a villain that's trying to be bigger than that. Just he's out there. So I love the idea of making this um, more of a political villain, you know, and twisting the Mandarin story thing worked for me. Yeah. But also I have to praise Ben Kingsley's performance. That was my second part of that because he does such an amazing job playing the dark Mandarin and then such a funny job with Trevor Slattery. It's really yes. good. Yeah, I know. I don't know which of those performances I'm more impressed by because they're both so great. I also love on those videos how they like take the explosions and he twists them in some yeah. like, epic way with the fortune cookies. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? I love yeah, that yeah. stuff. No, I, I'm glad you said that because one, there has been a lot of backlash over the years from the comic book fan community about how they handled the Mandarin character here. And I get it because it's it's the equivalent of, you know, them making the Red Skull or like Spider-Man's Green Goblin or something like a non-villain, like kind of a sham where it's like people like this is Iron Man's nemesis. But this is a bit of a soapbox that I have that I will give an abbreviated version of. But Oh, here we go. But whenever people- We just lost half our audience. <laughs> you know, I, I've talked about this before. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and- I'm a, I've read everything Tolkien's ever written. I'm a huge fan of the books. I also am a huge fan of the movies. And it always drives me crazy when people critique the movies because of something that they did or didn't do that the books did or didn't do. Because it's like it, you're in a different medium. Like that's the whole point. If you wanted the book again, then just read the book again. <laughs> just go read it. Like yeah. there's, there's, and so for me, I'm like, yeah, if you want the Mandarin from the comics, they're there. Go read the comics. But we're in a different universe. It's a different interpretation. The whole point is to kind of see it differently. Like I'm, I, what I would not want to do is come to this and just see that they've kind of copy and pasted a story from the comics onto the screen. And I think you and I have talked about how, how Marvel generally has done a great job, even when they are adapting a storyline in avoiding that kind of copy and pasting thing. And so I love that you're saying this because I feel the exact same way. We never talked about that, but well, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like here, this was a really great twist. And I just think in general, we've talked about villains and kind of struggles, especially early on in the MCU. And I love both Guy Pierce as Aldrich Killian and and Ben Kingsley's Mandarin performance. I think that yeah, like I it's a total twist to me, especially because everyone knows that the Mandarin is Iron Man's big villain. It's like I don't think anyone really sees it coming. I like you love that Killian does not have any sort of world domination plans. He's just basically trying to make money. You know what else? You know what else? We're hard on villains on this podcast, but this is a villain that didn't use Tony Stark tech. Yes. It's not the opposite of Tony Stark, a dark yeah. version of him. I love that. No, if anything, it's great because it's sort of a good foil because Tony is all about hardware and technology and armor and Killian is all about sort of biological improvement. So I think that makes those battles there at the end between the suits and the extremist people kind of interesting just as like different ways of scientific progress. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think the story in this movie in general is just nearly impeccable. So that's what's interesting to me. Let's talk about that. I finished this movie, and Marvel movies, when I finish them, give me one of three feelings. Either I shut it off and I'm like, yes! Like, I want to go picture like I'm Thor. I want to fly around. I'm so pumped up. I love it so much. <laughs> or I go, okay, that was good. That was good. Cool. Or I go, I just feel this weird feeling of like unsettledness, okay? And this movie for me, again, is that middle one where I finish it and I said to myself, I know this is a better movie than Iron Man 2. Right. I know it has a better plot. I get all that. I just don't enjoy it as much. I know that's so (laughs) weird. I think it's the Jon Favreau banter that I'm missing just a teeny bit. The Justin Hammer stuff, I don't know. I know it's a better movie. I'm going to rank it higher than Iron Man 2, but I don't necessarily have more fun watching it. Is that bad to say? 
No, I mean, I do think that this is a little bit of of you having what is normally my bias in favor of the character's kind of quintessential form. Well, you know what my bias is? I've said this before too, is I love seeing these characters at full power at some point. Right. And this entire movie is about Tony Stark not at full power. His suits totally. aren't I mean, at full power. Premise, his yeah. suits are flimsy at times, which I don't love. I don't understand how sometimes <laughs> his suits can get run over by a truck and blow up, but he can get shot that, by a tank. That is not- he can get shot by a tank in <laughs> Iron Man 1 and not have any damage. Stop. That, you set up the rules. I need to be able to follow them. No, that's not. They're not breaking the rules. They're not breaking the rules there because what you're referring to primarily, I think, is the Mark 42 suit getting hit by the semi and kind of breaking apart. But I think that that is unique to the Mark 42 suit because we see that that is, you know, he's had all these different suits the and that's son. one that he's put together. Yeah, that is supposed to be you know, easy to assemble and disassemble because it comes in pieces. So I think it totally makes sense that unlike the other Iron Man suits that take all of this crazy work to screw in that you've seen like in the first and second Iron Man and the Avengers, this one comes in these different pieces. So I think it makes sense that it would break apart. Okay, Well, they make it really flimsy, (laughs) but I will hear, I hear what you're saying. I hear you. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I want to point out one action scene I loved. The flying barrel of monkeys scene is so much fun to me. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm so and I think it's cool because a lot of the action scenes we've gotten with Iron Man in a suit are obviously um, like war related, violent, shooting his blaster, etc. It's kind of fun to have an action sequence like this that's totally different. He has to grab everybody, yeah. uh, but he can't carry them all. So the electrify the hand thing. Uh, it's just a really fun scene. Yeah, and it's it's funny. This is maybe like my dumb moment after watching this movie however many times. I had actually never noticed that he's doing that like electrify their hands so they have to stay closed thing. <laughs> however, however, the science of that works. Yeah, um, I don't know the science of that, but. <laughs> but I do think it's kind of cool because it's, I had always just thought, oh, like everyone's just holding on really tight. But the little like burst of, of energy that you see every time someone latches on, I think was kind of a cool touch. Hey, guys, don't make fun of my friend Robbie for missing that the first time, okay? Please. Hey, thanks. Okay, another thing that I love about this movie is there are some really funny parts. Trevor Slattery has some incredible lines like, okay, my wife and I, Robbie, still quote this in our daily lives. But when he goes, well, I panicked, but then I handled it. Yes, I love love that. that So we say that all the time, yes. I actually think, you know, you talk about losing some of the John Favre chemistry, and that's something that I think I was looking for in this movie. And and I do think it feels somewhat different, as it should. Yeah, maybe it's just a different feel, not worse. Right, right. And and maybe this is because RDJ has worked with Shane Black before on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and it's like they kind of have a fun dynamic, but... I would say, and I think I've actually, this this was sort of how critics responded to this movie. However you feel about it on any other level, I think that this is the most fun that I see Robert Downey Jr. ever have with the Tony Stark role. I'm not saying this is my favorite version of Tony Stark necessarily, but in terms of just the most fun, yeah, like I think he's just really playing with it. And it's like, I think this is some of the funniest Tony stuff that we get, like the moments with the kid where he's like, you know, my dad left to go get some scratch offs. I guess he won because that was six (laughs) years ago. And Tony's just like, which happens? Dad's (laughs) leave. (laughs) Right. Or how about when he's like, are you just going to leave me on the cold just like my dad? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) And just drives away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, He's like, but I'm cold. And he's like, I can tell. Because you know how I can tell? We're because we're connected. Yes, dude, that's good. <laughs> how about Gary, by the way? <laughs> One of the best scenes. Yes. Gary, the uh, news guy. That yes. whole bit is so funny to me. I have I've that patterned my whole look on you. I don't know if you can tell. I mean, it's I did it off a painting, so it wasn't. A, <laughs> I love it. No, no, it's yeah. I did it off a doll that oh, I yeah, made. I did it off a doll <laughs> that I made. Yes, that's amazing. He grabs him and says, "And Tony needs Gary." And then he fills in, "And Gary needs Tony." Get upstairs. You know what I'm talking about? He's like <laughs> yeah. trying to fill it out. <laughs> yes. I think I'm not just going to name off all these, but the other one that I think is just like, I just think this movie is so funny. And one of them is he and Rooney are there on like the oil rig and Tony jumps up real fast to look out. Yeah. 
And Rhodey's like, what'd you see? And he's like, too fast. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Speaking of Robert Downey Jr. just having fun, one of my favorite lines is when the crazy girl that's got extremis and she's on fire and she says, oh, cheap trick and a cheesy one-liner. Is that all you got? And he goes, sweetheart, <laughs> that could be my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, you, you're like naming all the lines that I've written down. On a more serious note, um, I also really love what this movie does emotionally. Like I know that it is pretty playful, and we might talk about that in a second, and generally lighthearted. But one, you know, you have what I think is, is a really cool portrayal of Tony's anxiety and kind of his attempt to deal with what's, you know, like verging on PTSD. How cool is that for a superhero movie to deal with that subject matter? I just think that's neat in general. I think it's really cool. I, don't, I mean, it's definitely not something that we've gotten before, really. No. I also really love what this movie does for Tony and Pepper's relationship. I think that we've seen oh, a yes. lot of growth in you know terms I love of the way Tony they interact and here. Yeah, well, and, and you know, to Pepperoni your earlier point, for life. <laughs> to your earlier to your earlier point have you ever heard that i i have only i've seen you tweet that before <laughs> and i remember being their, like wow that's like their that. celebrity name pepperoni K- pepperoni um no i i to your point earlier i like that each iron man movie we've seen the relationship progress in a meaningful right. way especially if you count the avengers where it's like for me the culmination of that is this moment at the beginning where, you know, Pepper's about to walk away because she's frustrated with Tony, and he's like, look, I'm sorry, I'm a piping hot mess. Right. And that was that a is statement huge. that previously took Tony, like, weeks to say. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a full 180 from Iron Man 2. I love that it honors, like, that this movie, even though we do have a different creative team here, it's still honoring that trajectory. He's growing in that way. Yeah, yeah, I love them both so much, and I want to throw Happy Hogan in that too. And I'm even yes. going to throw Iron Patriot in that, Don Cheadle. The four of them, as long as they're still there, you still feel this really fun banter vibe. Like Happy is one of my favorite characters, and I know yeah. we talked about the yeah. potential of them killing Happy Hogan in our deaths episode. And after a rewatch of Iron Man 3, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm very grateful they didn't because yeah. it's a he is a perfect bridge between Iron Man and Pepper, Iron Man and Spider-Man going forward. Yeah. And I do think that his character in general is going to provide very important plot points, very core emotional points going forward that I'm glad we didn't lose. As I was watching it, yeah, I know that we've said that, like this was an opportunity for a meaningful death. But I actually think that his injury was still pretty emotional. Like, I think that yes. the way that Tony responds to it feels really appropriate. It does feel, like, really dark, and it feels like something that he's probably feeling responsible for. It, Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I still I felt like it was, a, it was a totally sufficient motive to kind of, like, move the rest of the movie. Did you catch at the very end when they're watching Downton Abbey and he checks the nurse if she's wearing a badge? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. I love his badge bit. Like, hey, guy, hey, guy. And he points at his chest. Hey, guy, badge, please. I love well, all I, that so much. The forehead of security. I think one of the scenes that I hadn't noticed as much until this last time was the scene where Tony's in the hospital room with him right after the attack. And he makes that comment. He's like, make sure everyone in here has their badge on. He really cares about that. And it's like, it's, it's kind of, it's this really sort of intense, sweet moment because you don't know at that point if Happy's going to make it. And the reason I think this all works is because Tony is in such a fragile state in this movie, especially the first chunk of this movie, that you know that even just Happy being injured in this way yeah, has I got, think, you know. I think his injury is enough to drive Tony because he's already paranoid about protecting the people he loves. Exactly. So it didn't exactly. have to be a death. It could be a serious injury just to kind of poke the bear a little bit. And there is a part of me that, as you're saying that, it, it again makes me feel more okay with the fact that Tony never calls in any other backup in this movie. Because it it feels, again, to me that Tony's like, all right, personal. this is on me to do. Yeah. Like, it's not just that it's a personal attack. It's that, like, 
there's there's another you know maybe Tony doesn't want to draw anybody else into the crossfire at this point like maybe he's hmm. like I I'm I'm the one that's personally going to handle this because Rhodey only ends up being there because Rhodey just happens to be at the compound. It's not like he right. even calls Rhodey in for help. So speaking of appropriate reactions to injuries, I think <laughs> that the greatest con, the greatest fault of this film is the way Tony Stark reacts to Pepper's quote-unquote death is a huge yep. mistake. When she falls off yep. the platform at first, there's a really good facial acting bit where he's really sad that she's fallen, and that's good. But for the next five minutes, he's making like jokes and one-liners as if like he knows she's alive or this doesn't happen. He has been spending his entire life trying to protect Pepper, and if, if he truly just thought he lost her, maybe tone back the jokes at that moment. Yeah, yeah, that I, I I agree. It was a missed opportunity, unless you want to spin it as Tony actually suspected that she wasn't really dead or something. But I don't think that's the sense that we get. Um, I noticed that. I feel like it it was it was a point where we could have really sat in something, and it just kind of keeps on with the same tone, which is strange. But I will say honestly, other than the potential, you know, phase two where the other Avengers question. That was literally the only what doesn't work that I noted, Kyle, which is really? crazy. Because I don't, you know, it, we're going to look at, at my ranking here. It's not that I have this movie ranked exceptionally high, but it's I, just I'm like you. really pretty good. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I just can't really find much wrong with it. And I just, I really had a blast watching this movie. Like I really loved it. And I was just like, I, I don't, really see any issue with it well, beyond that's, the pepper that's, thing. That's kind of my premise is that it doesn't do a ton outstandingly well. There's not a lot about it where you'd be like, that is the movie. Go check out Iron Man three, but it doesn't yeah. do a lot really poorly either. It's just pretty good. That's my, yeah. that's the whole, my whole contention. I also found it amazing that you get to see that glimpse of Yinsen at the science conference oh, yeah, in the yeah. past. You know I love Yinsen. <laughs> yeah, you do. You, he's no Coulson for you, no, but <laughs> you know he's fine. He's no Coulson, but who is right? But on a serious note, I think it's just that I love the more and more you can tie these things together, the better it is for me. That's yeah. as lame as that sounds. If it's one little Yinsen, you know, shout out, then it makes me happier. So well, and and that kind of goes to something that I was thinking with this movie. At some point, we'll have to have another conversation about these character trilogies, like these solo movie arcs and kind of how they work apart from the larger MCU. But I do like that in some ways this movie was really trying to, like, even though it does kind of do some Age of Ultron work, was really trying to tie up this individual journey of Iron Man as much as possible. And so I think that it is kind of nice that there's a callback to Jensen that we see sort right. of pre-Afghanistan Iron Man. And even the way that in the end credits is sort of a retrospect on all of the movies. I think it's just, it, it makes it feel, again, wow. this movie has a place within everything, but I like that it feels a little bit like its own thing. Yeah, it just hit me that this is kind of the end of Iron Man's trilogy already in 2013. Yeah, it's That's crazy. the last time we'll see a solo Iron Man movie. That's wild. It's interesting if you were to just view these three movies as an isolated trilogy, I would say, man, they're fun, man, they're good, but the consequences weren't quite steep enough with something like Happy Hogan not dying. Right. But when you view it in the context of the entire MCU, it's pretty close to perfect in that way because we're going to get the consequences later. So I don't need them in this film in particular. Right. But yeah, I just, I guess I'm right now realizing this is the end of the trilogy and that's unique to me. Wow. Well, I think, yeah, I think what this trilogy has going for it in some ways that later trilogies didn't. Um, and you could either look at this as a positive or a negative. Like, I think the further we go, the more integrated everything gets into the overall Infinity Saga, which I know you and I both like. But that also means that you're not going to be able to have, like, Captain America Civil War, which is the third entry in that trilogy, does not have the, like, intense Cap story focus that the Iron Man, that the Iron Man 3 does, just because it's having right. to do a lot more, you know, like there's a lot more going on. I like the movie more. I'm not, I'm not dinging it for that at all. 
But it is kind of interesting to see, like, okay, like, this is just, yeah, like, at the end of each Iron Man movie, it's kind of just like a tie-it-up happy ending moment, right? Like, it's it's at a phase in the MCU where things aren't aren't ending in a way that they branch into other bigger things. It's just like, okay, well, this is a nice little story about Iron Man. True. I want to say quick, two other things I found behind the scenes, and I know I'm becoming like the behind the scenes guy. It's only <laughs> because I bought all these Blu-rays and I've been watching all the extras before I get do your this podcast. Worth. Yeah, no doubt. But dude, if, if anyone out there listening is at all creative or an artist of any kind, you may, like me, just really appreciate how much work goes into making a movie, specifically one of these movies. It's crazy. Did you know that the entire scene of Tony's house being blown up and destroyed with the piano bit and all that, that was an actual... Okay, first of all, when Tony gives out his address, that is an actual address to a house that looks a lot like that right on a cliff like that, which is kind of funny to me. Huh, Secondly, cool. they rebuilt that entire house inside a set and they put it on like platforms that they could drop and have like explode. So basically oh, wow. they built the house and then exploded it and damaged it. And that's a real piano and all that, that stuff is cool. to make it feel real. Like when Tony's sliding off, you know, the front of the house yeah, that yeah, is yeah. him sliding and having to catch a pole. That's it's just, very cool. It's incredible. They would do all that. I don't know. That kind of stuff just blows my mind. No, I love that. Secondly, I just wanted to point out how much work that the art directors had to do in designing the house protocol, all those suits. They right. went above and beyond making every suit unique in some way. And I thought that was so cool. They were talking about how they even tried to give everyone a unique characteristic or personality, like huh. Igor with the ability to lift that thing. Oh, and, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they all just had individual things about them that made them unique. And that's cool. That amount of effort, I appreciate. Well, and as an Iron Man comic fan, it was also fun to see some shout-outs to some of the different suits that have shown up there. Oh, so some of those are from comic book stuff? Yeah, I mean, not directly, but some are definitely inspired by them. Like, I think that there is um, what's called the Bleeding Edge suit, I believe, makes an appearance here, which is one of his famous ones from this era. Um, but that's that's one thing that's done really well without being too ostentatious throughout the MCU is there these little shout outs to different Iron Man looks like in, in Spider-Man Homecoming, we'll talk about this, but um, that version of Spider-Man is rooted in a specific Spider-Man series. Mm. And the version of the Iron Man suit that Tony wears is the version that Tony wears in that Spider-Man series, mm. which I just, I, I think it's really fun whenever they give those little shout outs to, to people like me that are nerdy enough to, Notice. I do love that. Okay. And then the last thing I just want to bring up is, again, just all the New York references are wondrous. Yeah. For example, did you catch when Aldridge Killian says, ever since that big dude with a hammer fell out of the sky, subtlety has lost its day? Yes, I love that. I love that like, line. Again, thank you, Marvel. Those are just little lines that make me so happy. You're acknowledging that the world knows about what happened. And again, yeah. with the New York stuff, there's just a countless number of times they did that for us. So thank you. No, I totally agree. Okay, I know you said you didn't have a lot else that didn't work. Can I just bring up a couple other little nitpicky things before I wrap this up? Gosh, fine. <laughs> I do think, this is not even a bad thing, but just preference-wise, the film takes on a little bit too much of a goofy feel to me. Just, I mean, just barely, barely. But like, it's pretty lighthearted. I do think that, while I really appreciate the music and the score in this movie, because we have not gotten a really recognizable Iron Man 1 or 2 score up until this point, right? I really appreciate it. So that's a positive. The theme itself is awesome, just a slight bit too playful for me. It almost sounds like a Spider-Man theme. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I see that. It's it's hard for me because this is actually one of my favorite soundtracks. I, it's good. I, really I like love it. it. And I love, I love a lot of Brian Tyler's Phase 2 work here. Um I, That's one of I my biggest takeaways from phase two is I really enjoy Brian Tyler. Yeah. He did the best credit role to me. Once we start getting away from that, it's not as good. And then Thor Dark World and this soundtrack are pretty good. Yeah. I will say there is a song on the soundtrack, if you're listening, called Can You Dig It? And it is this kind of like super fun version of the Iron Man 3 theme that rolls during the credits whenever they're doing this kind of retrospect of the whole trilogy. 
And that, I think, is a high point for kind of, in a way, all of the MC music because it's just such a fun, unique thing. And I think it really fits the tone of Iron Man, maybe even more so than like the actual theme that we get in the movie. But I do really, I don't know, I'm torn with you because I really love this theme. Maybe one of the controversial things that I'll say that I didn't even say at the time during Iron Man, the original Iron Man score is probably the most heavily criticized score in all of the MCU. Generally, rightfully so. But you know what? Like, I like the the little Iron Man theme that we got there. And I always associate that with Iron Man more than any of the other themes that they've given us. And I kind of wish that they had found a way to improve the score around that and maybe take out some of the like cheesy, heavy guitar stuff whenever it's a little much. But I like that. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? That like, dun I don't. dun dun Dun-na, oh, dun-na, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's just like it's very simple, but it's very like it feels like it fits Tony to me more than okay than some of the other takes. If that makes Where sense. Where it's hard for me to get on board with you is just that compared to some of the other scores we get in themes, that is so far down the list for me. I mean, it would be towards the bottom. Sorry, the, the first Iron Man or this? Uh, the first Iron Man. Sorry. No, 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 totally. I think as a whole, the score is. I just mean like, but but you're saying that this is too playful, and I feel like the Iron Man two thing was kind of forgettable. So I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's just no music that's not ACDC that we will ever associate with Iron Man. I think that's fair. I I like Shoot to Thrill being the theme. Um, I love that. Yeah. Okay. My last. Maybe talk me off a ledge on this. It's so small. You're gonna laugh so hard. But why include the one second scene of Aldridge Killian being able to shoot fire out of his mouth? Why include that? That to me uh, was like everything about Extremis was kind of believable until the fact that he becomes a dragon for a second. And I know they make a joke about it. Roddy goes, oh, you breathe fire now. Cool. Great. Yeah. But that just seemed unnecessary. It's tiny. I'm talking like 1% of the no, my I, feeling towards it. No, I get that. It, I get that. It's never, it's never bothered me because I think that it's it's so... They, they know how ridiculous it is when they're doing it. But then why do it? That's like everything else was kind of believable about that movie for the most yeah, part. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think you and I come down differently on this movie slightly just because I think what's really impressive here is one, this movie is, is everything Iron Man 2 isn't and that it's like so slick and it all fits together really well. And I think, like, whereas Iron Man 2 got bogged down by a lot, trying to do a lot of things, I think that this is, like, pretty focused. It's got a really good energy. But I think, like, where you and I disconnect is that, like, I really like the way it balances the kind of emotional issues with this sort of, like, almost irreverence. I think you maybe want a bit more reverence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's probably fair to say, I guess. But I think that's a slight difference. Yeah, I think yeah. score-wise, we're probably going to come out similarly anyway. Okay, but. so let's talk about our score. Let's get to our scores. All right. Here's my main takeaway feelings. I, I said this. I already think it's it's right in the middle of the movies for me. I think that it does so much good Tony Stark work. It does so much good character development between him and his his crew, Pepper, Rhodey, Happy. There's a lot of pause with that stuff. It's funny. It looks cool. There's some really fun scenes. The downside is I, it has some struggles that a lot of the Phase 2 movies have with sure. Call the Avengers, explain some of those things. I think it has a little bit more of a lighthearted tone than I would prefer with Tony Stark, but I really enjoy it. I said I think it's a better movie than Iron Man 2, so I'm going to rank it higher than Iron Man 2 by 1%. I'm giving this movie... And 80%. It will be number 15 of 23 for me right now. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. Let's hear yours. So I obviously agree that I think this movie is really fun. I also just, I love what this movie is as a follow-up to the Avengers in the same way that I love what Spider-Man Far From Home is as a follow-up to Endgame. And then I think it just does a great job of figuring out, okay, like where do we go from this movie that seems to be like sort of the the peak that we can reach. Like, how do we keep going? And I think it, it navigates that well. And I think that that shouldn't be overlooked, right? Because I, agree. I think there was a world in which, you know, especially looking at release order, like there's, there's a world in which there was so much pressure building up to phase two after the success of the Avengers right. that 
it was just a horrible catastrophe. Like, and I'm always struck by this. I mean, I said the same thing when we reached the Avengers movies. Like, there are all these moments in the MCU where I'm like, oh, that's a big swing. And it works and it just keeps working. And it's like, I just want to, I obviously I'm a fanboy, but I again want to applaud the folks at Marvel for even if they don't do it perfectly, for navigating this in a way that that really does work yep. more often than not. So here's what's interesting, Kyle. The score that I gave this movie is a good bit higher than yours. So you have it at an 80. I have this movie at an 88. Oh gosh. But as I think we've discussed before, your scores are just higher in general. <laughs> my have, scores are just higher. Yeah, just higher. My scores are just higher. Because are you 15? So mine is number 14. Okay. You're barely so, higher. But that's, I mean, there is a big drop for me, but it's like, again, I'm looking at my top 10, top 11 here, and they're all in the 90s. You know, so it's like, yeah. It's, it's once I get below that, there's a bit of a drop off. But I do think that this is. A really, especially on, I moved it up some. I had it originally at an 85. But again, like as I'm watching this, I'm like, I just don't have one, I had a blast watching it. And I just couldn't really think of much to dock against it. And so, really, the only way it's even where it is is because there are things that other movies that are ranked higher do better than this one. But that's not really a fault of this movie. No, that's a perfect description of the difference between you and I, though, is that I would not say I had a blast watching it. I really hmm. enjoyed it, but I would never have described it that way. That's okay. But there you go. We're only 14 and 15 apart. So we have the almost identical ranges for this uh, film. Right. It, as, as an indicator, I have this movie right above Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Okay. Well, we're close. But you we're know close. what else we're close to? We're almost getting to the end of phase two at this point. We're getting real close to being ramped up towards Age of Ultron. So. That will be fun to get to and see if all this work these movies are doing helps build towards that one. I know. I'm really excited to be where we are in this rewatch because I I like we've kind of had our little cosmic journey with Thor 2 and the Guardians films. And I like now that we're back with Tony, we're about to be back with Steve, and then we're meeting up with the whole Earth Avengers crew again, which you know, is is my jam. So I'm right. I'm excited. So before we get to Ultron, the next time we do a rewatch episode, we will be talking about Captain America Winter Soldier, which is a good Gosh. one, ladies and Gosh. gentlemen. So we're pumped to do that. But if you are watching um, in that other order, you might be at Winter Soldier about at this point with Guardians 2 coming a little bit later. So I can't wait to talk about how we feel about those differences as well. Absolutely. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on social media at the FFW podcast. And please subscribe to us. If you subscribe to our podcast, it will automatically download to your phone instead of you having to search it every time. So that way you can stay up to date with us. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. This has been Friends from Work. We'll see you next time. Bye.